out of bed and go. Why are we suddenly getting out of bed? Because we know that tomorrow we have to wake up and we have to do some things. Some of you are saying, if you have sold your house, you need to buy a second one. Uh, if you become a Christian, if you celebrate everything because you believe in a God that has celebrated some life issues in your life, and you believe that life is going to come to an end, what do you believe? Uh, and we, we celebrate every week. special day because today we celebrate baptism. Today is baptism Sunday. Uh, many of you saw the tank on the way in or the horse trough, whatever you want to call it. You know, like I prefer tank because it doesn't sound so registered. So um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a baptism tank. And, um, we want you to know that uh, at the very beginning that if, if you're here and at any moment today you feel like baptism is something that you need to do because it's what God
So I'm glad that that set the stage for where we might build on the rest of the message. And this all comes down to this idea that music has power. Is that something we can all agree on? And when we think about the idea that music has power, we all know that we've used music to help us heal a certain way. To pick us up, to relax us, to help us deal with grief and fear and anxiety and all of these things. But music has power. If we look about the history of music over the course of time and the history of man, we start to see two overarching ways in which music has been used. Number one is through medicine, but also through medicine. And number two is worship. And then we think about the Refuge Church. We begin and we end every service with worship through music. But then the question becomes, well, why? And that's the question that I've been starting to think about a lot myself is why. And now advancements in neuroscience research has been able to show us why music is powerful for our time. It helps in medicine, and it's through that that we can begin to answer that question of why it's powerful in worship. And that's why we're here today. So where have I heard that before?
start thinking about uh, why this is. Why is singing the reason that it's in the Bible so much? As Pastor Adam said, the word sing is in there about 400 times. Something related to music is written about almost 1,500 times in the Bible. There's some correlation to music. If you look at 66 books in the Bible, that's approximately on average. uh, Math works out well, but I'm a musician. I count to four. That's the one. Uh, that's the one. Mu- that's the one music joke for you today. Um, Twenty. And I'm not a mathematician either, so figure it out. Twenty. There you go. Ish. Anyway, as he said, it's in there more than shouting. So God commands us to sing before He commands us to shout. Why is that? So we're going to go over five points today about why that might be true. And we're going to start with the first one, which is the very sort of basis of which we understand how music impacts the brain. And everything that we're going to talk about today in terms of the neuroscience of music is applicable to 97% of the human population. Regardless of age, culture, ability, or disability, everybody's brain objectively responds the same to music. That's why it's so powerful for medicine. Correlation why it's also so powerful for worship. So what we understand now is that when we listen to music as human beings, We think about our brains, and our brains are the control center for our entire body. If we want to move, if we want to move our hands, our arms, our legs, if we want to speak, if we want to think, if we want to remember, that's all controlled by different parts of our brain. And what the research now shows us is that when we listen to music, that it engages the parts of our brain that are responsible for all of those parts. Thinking, attention, memory, movement, language are all engaged activated when we just listen to music. And there's no other stimulus on earth that engages our brain as globally as music does. That's a scientific fact. There's nothing on earth that engages our brain as globally as music does. I wanted to put this image up there. If you look at this, we have an image on your left here that it says the brain at rest. Now, if you look at the image on the right, what we care about in this image to sort of interpret what this means, red, oranges, and yellows mean activation, mean that they're being activated, that there's flow, that there's something going to your brain to show us this in the image. So when we look at your brain at rest, there's bits and pieces of yellow and red. When we look at your brain in reaction to music, it's globally engaged. And there's nothing else on earth 
that engages our brain as globally as that. And so with this explanation, we can start to understand that perhaps God would use music as the gift that would be something that completely engages us or completely activates us as humans with every bit of our being and thus engages us with him. Oh, a clap.
So now we're going to get on to point number two. So point number one is that music is a stimulus and engages our entire brain more than anything else on earth. That's the gift. Number two is we also know from research that music helps us with memory. That when we learn things via song, that we remember the content better. Have you ever wondered why when we teach children the ABCs, we do it through song? Just in case you forgot what the song sounded like. And now a lot of people come to that and say, well, it's fun, it's engaging to sing with children, it engages the children in the content. And while that's true, that's not the end. Because what the research now shows us is two things. One, that your brain likes to hold on to strong sensory information. So when we think about words, words have content. But when we think about songs, songs have melody and harmony and rhythm and content. So by nature of how music is, our brains want to hold on to that. Also, your brains do this fun thing called chunking. And what chunking is, is your brain takes groups of information, holds onto it, and stores it together as one word. So when we think about the ABCs, you did not learn 26 individual pieces of information. A, B, C, D. You actually learned about five or six pieces of information. You learned A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. And because of that chunking, we more easily can remember the content. And so God gives us music and commands us to sing rather than shout so that we remember the content. And if you ever question that that works, I will challenge you to think about a song that you knew in your teens or 20s that you haven't listened to since. If you put on that uh, record or on that song, when you hear the first word or two, I will guarantee you that the rest of the line will come out. Because your brain has literally stored that information together, that once it gets the first few, the rest of the information is there. So God wants us to sing so that we remember the content. The content is important. What you listen to start to think that it's about them, and they're going to start to think that they're 
start to think that they're successful, they're going to turn to other gods and forget that I'm here. Except, Moses, you're supposed to write this song down so that when they forget me, they will remember me. He says, and when many disasters and calamities come on us, because when we, when we think that we're successful and we try to do things our own way, calamities and, and disasters, they come on us. But this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. What they are disposed to do, even before I bring them into the land that I promised them is oath. So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. God said, I gotcha. That's why he says, when we hide God's word in our heart, that we're not going to sin against him because we can remember it. And he said, use a song to remember it. So that when they think that it's about <laughs> we've, we've invited him up here to, uh, to just kind of come and try this out. Lord is my shepherd, so my green pastures he makes me lie down he restores my soul and leads me on for his goodness surely goodness surely mercy right beside me He makes me lie down. He restores my soul, leads me on for his grace. Surely goodness, surely mercy, right beside me.
songs that we sing on Sunday morning, sometimes we come in here, we sing a new song this morning. It's like another hour class. But halfway through it, it like, you, you guys are singing. Because music is powerful. And the other reason why we want to do that uh, demonstration as well, because I would almost guarantee as you leave here today and you think about the content that you remembered, you will remember that. And you will also remember the words, or at least pieces of the words that he said, versus, no offense, Pastor Adam, any of the scripture that Pastor Adam has read thus far. Because that's how your brain is designed to work. And that's why we sing, so that we remember. So, next point being, first point was activating us as humans. Two is the memory. Third point is that singing produces connection. Now, this is an important point that we're going to dive into a little bit here. So when we think about singing, what I want to talk about today is as we talk about singing, we don't mean singing in a band, necessarily. We don't mean singing in a choir, necessarily. We literally mean any time that something comes out of your mouth that is melodic and rhythmic, that is singing. It is not about what it sounds like, but it's about the act of singing. Because when we act on singing is how we remember and how we're activated. So... What the now the new research showed by, uh, there was some really interesting research that showed that when we sing together, not in a band, not in a choir, but when we sing together, that our bodies release increased levels of what's called oxytocin. And oxytocin is what is responsible for decreasing fear, decreasing anxiety, and increasing feelings of connectedness. So that we actually become more connected, not emotionally, but chemically when we sing together. Now, to take this a step further, which is perhaps some of the most profound research in this area, uh, came out in 2015 by researcher Amy Keeler, actually found that when we sing together, that our heart rate synchronizes. So let's think about that for a minute. Again, we're not talking about singing in a choir. We're not talking about performance. We're talking about when we worship and we sing out loud. This doesn't happen if you don't sing. There's my point. You must sing in worship for this to happen. But what we know is that when we do, that our hearts literally, rhythmically
I used to think that this was that this was because the Bible says that Lucifer was the most skilled musician in all of heaven. That he was a worship leader. One of my one of my buddies talked to me and said, Adam, the reason why you have so much trouble with your worship team is because they stand as a worship leader. And it was bad. It was it like made sense. But then I got into this and I realized it's even more than that. It's because he knows because he was a worship leader, he knows that that music can divide a church. When half the, the crowd is seen and the other half isn't, he's dividing the church. It's a music is a unifying force. And that's why Psalm 95.1 says, come let us I, I want to just reinforce that. I think as, as my sort of role here as a bit of a scientist and clinician, that when we talk about singing, we do actually literally mean singing. That you need to do this in order to have these scientific impacts. Can I add something real quick? Please. Uh, sorry. Um, when you come in, we sing. This is why when you come in, we sing. So that when we open God's word, we're unified. Our hearts are in, are all in the same place. may not be in the right place. So now we're going to move on to our, our fourth one here. So number one is that it fully engages us as human beings. Number two, music helps us with memory. Number three, it unifies us. It connects us. And number four is this point of how deeply processed music is in the human being. So as I mentioned at the beginning, all of this stuff that we talked about today is applicable to 97% of the human population. These are objective responses that we have as humans, regardless of age, culture, ability, disability, doesn't matter. Everybody's brain responds to music, which is why it's so powerful. But what we now know is that even babies in the third trimester have the ability to respond to music. So this response to music from a neurological level is one of the first things that we gain as human beings. So I'll set that there. Then we think about, we also know that music is processed through our brainstem. And your brainstem is your most primal part of your brain. It is what controls your heart rate. It's what controls your breathing rate. Without you having to think about it, it's because your brainstem is intact. We now know that music is processed through the most primal part of our brain. Now, what that means is part of my work as a clinician and some of the most profound and rewarding work that I've had is working with patients with severe traumatic brain so these are patients that are what's called residents, and I have the honor to, to be with them in that moment where literally they are breathing on their own and their heart rate is functioning on their own, but that's what we think to be the extent of their brain function. And we come in with live music, and we can actually use live music to slow their heart rate, to slow their respiration rate, and when we slow their respiration rate, their levels of oxygen go up exponentially. And they're hooked up to all these machines and we see this objectively happen. So when people are literally in the worst stages of their life, 
the only thing that we can access that way is music in a very real way. This is also part of the reason why we hear these stories about people with Alzheimer's disease and why or people in advanced stages of memory issues who say they can't remember their name, they don't know where they are, they don't remember family, but they remember the words to their songs. They can dance. They can sing. It's because music is so deeply processed in our brain. And I have this image this image. So what's so profound about this image is this is another brain scan. So just picture that these are two brains because um, that's basically what they are. Um, and we think about uh, this is actually the brain scan of somebody who's in a vegetative state. So if you look on the left, remember that yellow, orange, red, or green activation. Sitting in silence, we see one picture. But then in the presence of live music, we see a completely different activation. Mind you, this is severe traumatic brain injury where it seems that nothing else is functioning other than their breathing rate and their heart rate. And we're able to elicit that type of response from music.
memories to think about. We've been using this, uh, this term a lot, engagement, today, engagement in music, which is going to bring us to our fifth point, and perhaps the most important and the most profound point of the entire being today. So let's recap. Number one is that music completely activates us. Number two, music helps us remember. Number three is that it's connect, it connects us, it unifies us. Number four is that it's deeply processed. And number five is that it literally uh, aids our brain in the process of what's called neuroplasticity. And what neuroplasticity is, is if you think about your brain, your brain has lots of connections that are firing all the time with any sort of function that you want it to do. The reason why you as adults can learn new information throughout your entire lives is because your brain is plastic and can create new connections to teach you new skills throughout your entire life. That's called neuroplasticity. Neuro being brain, plastic being shapeable, formable. The other piece of this is that neuroplasticity is the reason why people who have brain injuries can heal. It's because your brain can create new connections around the damage to improve function. And it's been shown now that engaging in music aids in the process of neuroplasticity. Not listening to music, but literally engaging in music somehow. So that could be dancing, that could be singing. For this uh, message today, we're going to talk about singing and how singing aids in neuroplasticity. So I'm going to show you a quick video here. This is the one video that I'm going to show you of my work with um, a patient who's had a stroke. And this uh, man had a severe stroke to the point where he couldn't speak at all. So he lost where the where the damage was in his brain was to the right uh, to the left hemisphere of his brain, which is where your language center is. So he had a stroke, internal bleeding in his brain. He lost the ability to speak. But what we know, because music globally activates our brain, that we can actually, when we sing, we use different parts of our brain than when we speak. So we did an intervention that taught him to speak again through what looks like singing. So, for example, I want you to, this is, I'm going to ask you to say something, and I want you to say it back to me, okay? So if you just say, I love church, say this. Excellent. So your ability to speak that was primarily due to the left side of your brain being able to work. Yeah, it's a good sentence, right? But now if we think about just doing this, I love church. While a very simple demonstration of this, literally because you used melody and rhythm in that second phrase, you just incorporated the right hemisphere of your brain to produce that. Does that make sense? Left versus right. Now, the damage was to his left hemisphere. He couldn't speak, so we taught him to speak again. So it looks like this. So keep in mind, he understands everything, but can't uh, speak anything. Try it again. So we started actually singing with him, and at this point, he can't quite sing the words yet. He can produce a melody, but no words. Ah. Uh. 
close, it's not perfect, but then we did intensive training with this type of program. And it's a clear path. So what this is, is evidence of neuroplasticity, because he couldn't do a function before, we engaged in music, which means his brain created new neural connections, and then he can do the function afterwards. Um, and a colleague of mine, Dr. Gottfried Klaus in Boston, let's get the other image up there real quick, did this study that actually studied that intervention that I just showed you called melodic attention therapy over the course of about six months. And the green that you see here on the images, the green is your connection to language in your brain. It's a part of the brain that's called the arcuate fascicula. The arcuate fascicula, really important for language. If you notice the one on the right, the one on the right is significantly thicker than the one on the left. This is the same human being, pre and post a singing intervention, that by singing it literally changed the anatomy of that person's brain. Now, here, I think, is the part that becomes most profound for me as I think about this. As I said, when I was working with Peter, doing it once didn't change the function. Doing it multiple times per week over time changed the function. Neuroplasticity doesn't happen when we listen to music. It only happens when we engage let's come back to this and say that change only happens when we're engaged. Scientifically, change only happens when we engage, not when we listen. The only way 